Let's go to Matthew 15. What are traditions that you grew up with in your family? One of the traditions that I grew up with in my family includes homemade ice cream and saltine crackers. Skip, right? Yep. You know, summertime, everybody brings a freezer of ice cream to, to Grandma and Grandpa's house. And there's always a bowl or a package or a box of saltine crackers to go with it. Now, don't knock it till you've tried it, okay? The salty kind of helps the sweet. Cliff Sanders and I have a tradition that, uh, Bill, anytime either one of us gets to go to Papado's, we, we text the other one a picture so that we can rub it in. Now, you always text me or call me, don't you? You always either text me or call me just to rub it in. So Cliff and I kind of do that to each other too. And uh, it, it, it never ceases to rub it in. Yeah, okay. That's a tradition uh, that, some, that a couple of friends have. All right. Now, you see, what, what we've talked about here uh, makes us smile when we talk about traditions, doesn't it? What, I'm gonna, what we're going to deal with today, what Jesus is going to deal with today from the Old Testament, really has to do with the law but a tradition or traditions that have begun uh, that have spun out of the law and actually the tradition took the place of the law. That's kind of, a, kind of a dangerous place to be. In order to understand this, we've got to kind of know a little bit of the contour of the giving of the law. Now, you know that God first revealed his laws through Moses on Mount Sinai. Uh, those laws were tailored to a people um, that were getting ready to enter into the promised land to live as free people for the first time in any of their lives. Now, many of those laws that were delivered through Moses were directly connected with life in the promised land that would be free from foreign domination. So the, what we've got to deal with as we read the New Testament is first century Jewish people had to kind of struggle to know how to apply the laws because now they're an occupied country under Roman occupation. Okay, remember the laws were given to a people that were free, free from Egyptian bondage. Now, uh, they're under uh, a foreign government, the power of foreign government. Under the Romans, full application of Sabbath law, for instance, was not always possible. So the, the common people began to rely on teachers of the law to give them an interpretation of what we should do in this case. Or in that case. Um, the problem with that is that those religious authorities who set themselves up to kind of interpret it all uh, began to see themselves as, um, as kind of super religious and super important. And they began to put their interpretation of the law on the same level as the law itself. Okay? And we're going to see where that kind of can lead to a problem here. Uh, this morning. So um, we'll look here at an example of that, and then Jesus is going to cite yet another example. Now, Bob, I'm going to prevail on you if I can to start with Matthew 15, and if you'll go to verse 1 and 2, and I'll probably come back to you in a minute and let you go on in verse 3, okay? Okay, now, 
Will somebody go to 20, uh, Acts 26, verse 5? Who will get that one? Acts 26, 5. Okay, thank you, Karen. All right, and um, now what, what we've got to kind of come to terms with here is that these people, these Pharisaical people, now by the way, the word Pharisee came to be understand as, understood as the separated ones. Now, how, how interesting is that? that? That these people who called themselves by a particular sect uh, kind of said, we're the separate ones, okay? Think about that. I mean, they, it's, it's all kind of set up, isn't it? And yet the people put great uh, store in what they had to say. Now, um, listen to how Paul describes himself in Acts 26, verse 5. Karen, you want to go ahead and read that? Paul identifies with them. said, this is what I used to be. In the strictest sense of it, in the strictest observance of the law, I myself, he says, was a Pharisee. Okay, now... Now, Jesus has sparred with these kind of folks before, and he's going to spar with them again. Look at, uh, just go back a page to Matthew 12, and I'm going to read verse 14, okay? Here's what the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees has developed into really, really quickly, even in his ministry. Here's 12, 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. What are they doing? They want to kill him. Isn't it interesting that there can be such a controversy over teaching that it would cause somebody to want to kill somebody else? Uh, and not somebody here who's doing anything wrong. It's just different. It's just new. In fact, uh, in terms of Obeying the law, he's obeying it implicitly where it's important. And we're going to see kind of an example of that today. This is an ominous thing that happens here. Now, what I've got to be careful of here is to not place tradition over the law because that's what they had done. Uh, Would somebody go to... um, Mark 7, verse 3. It'll be a parallel telling of this same story. Mark, uh, might as well, Mark. You might as well read that, hadn't you? Mark 7, 3. Okay. Um, it's going to be a parallel telling of this. Now, let, let me go back to verse 2 here that Bob read a minute ago. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Well, they not wash their hands when they eat bread. What's the issue? They're not washing their hands like they think they ought to be washed, right? Now, I've got to admit to you, this would never happen to a Jewish fella. It happened to me this morning. I was dealing with pork. I'm cooking pork today, okay? And I was, I was rubbing a, a, a pork shoulder today with some of Jake's rub to get it, you know, for it to marinate before I cook it later on today. Well, you probably wouldn't want to shake hands with me after I got that done with that, right? Until I washed my hands thoroughly. But we're not really talking about that here. I want us to be really clear on what we're talking about. Now, we've got to look. Um, Steve and Cindy, can I have you be our uh, legal advisors here today? Would one of you do the, uh, go to the Exodus portion, and then Cindy, uh, maybe if Steve would do that, and if you do Leviticus 15, 11. 
we got to be careful here, I believe, to re- when we require what the Scripture does not. Now read the telling of it from Mark 7, 5. Mark, will you? Um, 7, 3, I think is what I mean. Okay, the tradition of the elders is that the Pharisees and the legalistic Jews will make a big deal out of, in public, this ceremonial uh, washing of their hands before they eat. Jesus and the disciples didn't do that. There's a couple reasons they didn't do that, but, but that's not all that important here. By the way, one of the things that's true here is water was really scarce. It, you could argue it was expensive. Okay? If it was available, sure they washed their hands. If not, remember now, there's a crew of them watching to just see how they're going to act and react. And, and here in, in Mark 7, as, as uh, Mark reads to us, there's the tradition. Remember, they have made this a tradition. This is a big deal to them. The question is, is it scriptural? Now, Steve, would you go to the law that talks about ceremonial washing? Okay, I'm going to ask you now for the next couple of minutes, what's the law? This is the law, and it's designed for whom in particular? The priests, the sons of Aaron. It's designed to help them uh, when they're doing some some ritualistic things or some rituals uh, that have been described in the law to not imperil themselves. Now, did you notice what the the, uh, punishment is if they don't do this? Okay, so they don't die. Did you catch that? Now, there's another scenario that's talked about in, in Leviticus 17, Leviticus 15, where if you're dealing with a person who has like an issue of blood or some kind of uh, an issue like that where uh, your hands might be contaminated, there's, there is a reason for uh, cleaning yourself up. Would you read 1511, Cindy? Okay, going to be unclean until he gets his stuff taken care of. Now, I think about work that, um, that we have done with students in the hospital where literally, uh, Patty, the, the, first, the first lesson is you wash your hands before and after everything uh, with, with sanitized hand cleaner or, water, or, or soap and water, whatever you can find. I, I, I think of several in the past who, um, it's interesting, their first assignment was with, with somebody who was in some kind of isolation, maybe a droplet or contact thing going on, and, uh, and, and so I would see them in the hallway just mortified in these, in these yellow gowns that they have to put over everything, and even one young lady on her first day of clinicals had to put on a mask, like a, like a shield and a mask, and, you know, it's just ridiculous, 
but that was for her protection. Now, it's interesting here. The law is not that much different than that. It just says if there's something going on here, we don't want to spread that. So wash your clothes. You know, they may, it might require you to, to burn them if you don't wash them. So, okay, so if, there's the issue. It just makes sense, does it? Now, where in either one of these passages does it say anything about washing your hands before you eat a hot dog? It's a good idea, right? Traditionally, to wash your hands before you eat a hot dog. Uh, by the way, it would need to be a Nathan's hot dog in those days. Because they're kosher, right? Okay, but is there anywhere where it says this is the law? No. No. They have taken their tradition. And by the way, when they did this, they would do it out in the open with great flourish. They've taken their tradition and made it law. I got to be careful not to require what the scripture does not. By the way, this is the only time in history this has happened, right? Only time in history. Yeah. I think not. How many times have I been guilty of this in my 37 years of some kind of ministry? How many times have I been guilty of saying, you know, we just don't want to offend anybody, so we're going to require you to do this, or we're going to require you to do this, or not to do that, or not to do that. And interestingly, the tradition sometimes supersedes the law, the letter of the law, the spirit of the law. I remember when I was in seminary, I was finishing up uh, a thesis project, and I, I um, drove my mom's car to Anderson because my car wouldn't make it. And uh, I spent a week in the archives in the Anderson Seminary Library uh, at reading magazines. For, for about three days, I read the old Church of God magazines. And what I recognized through the 1920s and 30s and 40s, Hubert, uh, you weren't around in those days, but, but you, you knew, you've known the Church of God about as long as I have. What I recognized in those days as I was reading through is we were against everything and not for a whole lot. It just literally, I, I, I'm reading, I'm trying to find some stuff on, on Christian worship and, you know, and I find a few articles that I can use. In fact, I, I ended up photocopying about, you know, an inch thick material on that. But I just was astounded at how many things we weren't for, how many things we were against. You know, you couldn't smoke, you couldn't Jew, you couldn't go with girls who do, you couldn't bowl. Because somebody might, uh, you might see some liquor somewhere on the presence, okay, on the premises, okay? It's just crazy. You know, my, my mother-in-law, I hope she doesn't hear this. My mother-in-law will talk about, um, we don't goat the show. And that's how she says, we don't goat the show, which meant you don't go to movies. Was, that, was your mother kind of in that place? Now, she does, she, they don't judge me, but we don't goat the show, okay? I, I think that's spelled G-O-A-T, the show, okay? All right? We just don't do that, Okay? Uh, John, you probably didn't goat the show when you were in kid, a kid either, did you? You're a good Nazarene boy. You probably didn't do that either. So, okay, but you understand that terminology, don't you? Yes, sir. Okay. Isn't it interesting how when I was eight or nine years old, my mom and dad dressed me up and took me to the Tower Theater because we didn't go goat the show either, but Sound of Music was on there. Yeah, and we get, went all, got all dressed up to go to it. You remember that? 
First time I had ever been in a movie in my life, and certainly not with mom and dad. Did you really? You look like you're going to the prom. Is it? But you know what? There couldn't have been a better family experience. I remember talking to some people about whether or not they were going to go see the Passion of the Christ. And they said, no, we just don't do that. Now, I'm not throwing a critical eye at that. I'm just saying, i got to be careful to not let the tradition supersede the law. There's nothing in my Bible that tells me not to go to the show, okay? I'm not saying that you should. In fact, there, there's some things that we ought to not see and ought to not get pulled into. But, okay, now, Bob, I'm going to ask you to go on and read 3 down through 9. Would you do that? Bob, can I get you to stop for a minute? I want to frame it, and then I want you to start again at verse 4, okay? All right. He says, okay, he, he begins by saying the larger problem is tradition. And he uh, begins with this idea of the tradition versus the law. And my question to you is, and this is not, this is a rhetorical question. It doesn't require an answer. just some thought. Can my tradition actually break the law, the larger command of God? Can my tradition actually break the larger commands of God? I think they were guilty of that here. Yeah, there you go. I, I, think, I think I can be guilty of that. And I think they certainly were. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to choose, beginning with verse 4, he's going to present a case study from the Old Testament and indict them on how they're following it. By the way, my Lord is the smartest man that ever walked the planet. Don't get in an argument with him. He's going to win every time. Even though they wouldn't admit that he won it, but he puts them in their place. Okay, Bob, if you'd begin with verse 4 and read down through 9. Okay, Cindy and Steve, can I pick on you all again? Cindy, would you go back to Leviticus and go to 20, verse 9? Steve, would you go to Exodus, um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 5, 16, okay? Mark, can I get you to go back to Mark? Mark 7, 11. And then would somebody find 1 Timothy 5, and we're going to read 4 and 8, not 4 through 8, but 4 and 8. Who would do 1 Timothy 5, 4, and 8? Eileen? Okay, now let's, let's work our way through it. Jesus is addressing this issue of tradition versus the law, and he presents a case study right out of the scriptures, from, from uh, certainly out of the Decalogue, out of, out of Exodus 20, where uh, you remember in the, in the top 10, in God's top 10, thou shalt honor thy father and mother, right? He restates it in Deuteronomy 5.16. Steve, you got that?
Now, the whole issue of whether or not you're going to live long is not all that clear, but it seems the rest of the law is pretty clear, isn't it, right? Honor mom and dad. Now, uh, in Leviticus, it's going to give us some particular teaching in that. Leviticus 20, uh, verse 9, I think is what I gave you, wasn't it, Cindy? Okay, so the law is, what's clear about the law? The law is you're supposed to honor mom and dad. And the law is, if you don't, if you do the opposite, they're going to stone you. They're going to put you to death. I think that's rather severe, but that's how it was, right? Okay, that's the law, the law uh, that's supposed to lead them into the promised land, okay? They value family relations so much and value particularly the honor of a son and a daughter uh, over a mom or a dad, that they're going to protect that. Now, now, the problem is that there are laws that, although clear-cut from the Old Testament, have become fuzzy as they've tried to lead the, live them out. Mark, read what they've... There's a, there's a parenthesis, as I remember here, from Mark 7... Uh, what did I give you? 7, um, 11 that is not in the Matthew telling of this story. Would you read it? Okay, now, the teachers of the law, you remember these that are, that are the separated ones, have created a loophole in the honor your father and mother law. Okay, in other words, if your mom and dad needed something, um, they needed to be cared for in their old age. You're supposed to provide that. In fact, let's read what Paul says about it to Timothy, Eileen. And then jump to eight. Interesting. They're not going to say put you to death because they're under Roman law here, right? But they're going to say, you know what? It's like you don't even believe in God if you don't take care of your family. Now, that's the law. That's the understanding of the law, right? But what have they done? Well, what, what Mark was reading about a moment ago, the teachers of the law have provided a loophole that allows me, if I just don't want to take care of mom and dad, to opt out of that responsibility. This loophole is called uh, Corban or Corban, which means an offering to God. Literally, what they could do is kind of a legal sleight of hand where it involves dedicating some or all of my income to God, thereby making it ineligible for a non-religious use. Okay, I could take part of my income and say, well, this is God's. I can't give it to mom and dad to support them and buy them food or a place to, to live or take care of them because I've dedicated this to God. I'm giving it to God. But what they would invariably do is end up spending that money on themselves. Even though if somebody said, well, how come you're not taking care of mom and dad? Because the only money I've got is dedicated to God. Does that make your blood boil like it does mine? Isn't it, it's interesting to me uh, when I was talking to, um, 
to Bob's three daughters this week, Bob Jones' three daughters this week. And I've recognized over the, over the months as, as Bob and Arthur have struggled how well cared for they are. Okay? It's impressive to me. I also remember, though, the days when, by the way, you helped me, Estella, you helped me take care of Dad in my house. I'm, well, it was certainly an honor for me. So many of y'all, including Bob and Ardeth, would bring food to Dad when I had to be up here on Wednesday night. It was just kind of a cool thing that you guys did. But after Dad died, I had a lot of people say to me, boy, you really set the bar on how to take care of your parents. And I'm thinking, it just seemed kind of obvious to me. It just seemed kind of right. What else would I have done? Would I have dedicated 40% 40% of my income to Corban and said, Dad, sorry, you're on your own. No. Because it's not about the law, it's about what's in your heart, isn't it? Okay, so let's, let's continue a little bit here. Now, to honor parents, you would think, is a core value. But is it? Maybe not here. The law said, see to their needs. But they found this Corban loophole that got him out of it. Jesus is going to use a word that none of us like. He's going to say, you hypocrite. Okay, isn't this one of those places where you really love him? (laughs) You know, you just say, okay, man, call him out, call him out, go ahead, call him out. Isn't it interesting that some people will say to you, uh, when arguing with the claims of the gospel, they might say to you, well, I don't go to church because of all the hypocrites in the church. By the way, one pastor had a, a lady that he visited at home trying to encourage her to come back to church and she hadn't been in months. And uh, he, says, he, he says to her, you know, I just am, am interested in you. I'm, I'm curious about you. I want to be sure you're okay spiritually. Well, you know, pastor, I don't go to church anymore because of all the hypocrites in church. And he said to her, you know, we can always, we can always fit in one more. That's a great thinker, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that if you if you if you got a problem with hypocrisy in the church, guess what? You and Jesus are on the same page. He didn't like it either. I had somebody once tell me, just because you're you frequent the donut shop doesn't make you an officer of the law. Okay. <laughs> somebody else said. Um, uh, just because you may occasionally sleep in the garage doesn't make you a car. Just because I claim to be a Christian doesn't mean I am so. Because profession and possession are two different things. And Jesus calls them out on it. Uh, He uses this, this wonderful case study here and calls them out on it. A person's behavior is the real indicator of where their heart truly is. You can talk it all you want to until you show it to me. And in Isaiah, the prophet kind of calls them out on it in his day as well. Well, I want us to go on in the story 
Jesus in verse 10 is going to address, he's already addressed the teachers, his accusers. He's going to now call the crowd together and talk to them. And eventually he will talk to the disciples themselves. Let's read a little bit of this. I'm going to go to verse 10 and read just a couple of verses and stop. Okay, here we go. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. The Pharisees have missed the point of purity. Okay? The Pharisees have missed the point completely about purity. Would somebody go over to 1 Peter 3.21? Peter gets it, by the way, after being taught by Jesus here. 1 Peter 3.21, somebody got it? Yep, thank you, Karen. Got it? Peter's going to say, emulating what Jesus said to him the first time over here in Mark 7, and then certainly in Matthew 15, Peter's going to say, purity is not about dirt. It's not about dirt. It's not about what's on your hands. Now, look, look I'm going to jump ahead to verse 15 and 16. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. By the way, I think he got it because he teaches about it, Karen, on what you just read. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? <laughs> it's interesting. Um, he, he has to reteach it. And by the way, some of the greatest teaching in the Bible, in the New Testament, is where he reteaches something he's already taught. Okay? Why don't they get it? Here's my opinion. Because all their lives, they've been taught this. And probably all their lives, they have observed Pharisaical legalistic people who wash their hands with great pomp and circumstance, and yet they can tell their heart is dirty. All their lives, they've seen the disconnect, but they've not known what to do with it. All their lives, they've heard it taught, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to connect the dots. Yes. Gloria? He's going to tell them right here. Let's look at verse 17. Here's what he says. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile the man. Um, I'm in verse 18. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. What's his point here? His point here is that it's important what is in the heart that issues from the mouth. He's literally talking here about, you don't need to worry about microbial things. They're going to enter your mouth. And defile you. Now, we know, don't we, Patty, that you ought to worry about that somewhat. Okay? I didn't want to go, if, if I would have been with my kids this morning and had all this pork blood all over me, I, they're probably not going to hand Silas to me, this newborn, and say, here, Paul, get, get you some loving from the baby. They're probably not going to do that. But Jesus is going to call them out on it and say, it's not what comes in that counts, but what's coming out of your mouth indicates that your heart is dirty. 
what comes out of your mouth, what proceeds from you. Their teaching came, Gloria, from a dirty heart. Remember what we read just a few minutes ago. Remember, they're, they're worried about him washing his hands, all the while they're plotting to murder him. Which is more important? Come on. That's an obvious question, right? A rhetorical question. Yes, ma'am. I think you're I think think you're right on track. And so what is the issue here? The issue is they don't know him. They don't know the Lord they claim to serve. And the issue is, let me fill in one last blank for you. Hand washing is far from the issue. The state of a person's heart prompts every bit of your behavior. You can tell me all you want to tell me that you are his son or daughter. But the truth is, it's what you say and what you do that indicate whether or not that is true or false. This ought to be simple, but for some reason, it doesn't make the connect sometimes. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of it. Okay? In recent past, you don't have to think 20 years ago, but maybe 20 minutes ago or 20 days ago, in recent past, when have you been inconsistent in what you claimed or judged someone else on? Okay? All right? I got in trouble, by the way, for this about a year ago when I was stopped by a guy with, you know, red lights, and um, he said it, it, you know, the, the particular infraction, I asked him if he had turned his turn signal on, indicating he wanted to turn left, and he didn't like that because I was... I was calling him out on an inconsistency. Anyway, it didn't, it didn't go very well for me, Doyle, at all. <laughs> Hello, traffic school, you know, so, yeah. Okay. How, how can I be careful about this? I can be sure that I'm not calling somebody out for not washing their hands while my heart is filthy dirty on some other issue. Okay. Okay. And I probably ought to occasionally do a little bit of, a, of a, a, a check in my heart with this. Can I tell you what the Bible says about that? It says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If the word is hidden in your heart, my guess is, if you're reading it and digesting it on a daily basis, my guess is if you come up against a hypocrisy issue, the Holy Spirit wants to call you out on it. And he'll do it lovingly. He won't say, hey, He's going to say, hey, you know, we could do this a little better. Do you realize that you said this, but you're doing this? Come let us reason together, the prophet says. Okay? So I think I need to look occasionally, and I want to ask you to do this over the next seven days. Look at a place where 20 minutes ago or 20 days ago, I may have called somebody out or, or even in my mind been judgmental about the issue in somebody else's life when my heart actually was a bit dark or dirty. Here's the issue. You don't want to walk around with pork blood on your hands. You just don't want to do that, okay? So use disinfectant, you know, wash your hands, do all that kind of stuff. But can I tell you what's even more important? 
You don't want to have something vile in your heart. Okay. Next week, we're going to talk about what Jesus says is the most important thing. Okay? I'll see you then. Bless you. Have a great week.